All right. Hey, if you have your Bible with you, please open to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. <laughs> i got to tell you something funny. So I was preaching uh, off my computer <clears throat> a while back, and uh, while I was, you guys were all seeing it, I was preaching at home. And then while I was preaching... I got a text message on my computer. It went ding like that. And, and it recorded it. And I think everybody at home checked their cell phones because they thought that they had a message. And it was actually me, but I totally faked it and I just kept going. And so that, that was funny to me. Um, hey, I'm so excited to, about today's passage that God has brought us to in his timing because it really speaks to us directly as followers of Jesus during this time uh, in this divided world right now. And what we've been looking at in Ephesians has, has preached to us that our God is a reconciling God. Our God is a reconciling God. Through the gospel, God reconciles people to himself, and through the gospel, God reconciles people to one another. So to reconcile means to end hostility between parties and to bring them back together in a peaceful and harmonious friendship. To reconcile means to end hostility between parties and to bring them back together in a peaceful and harmonious friendship. And what we see in scripture and in our own experiences that only the power of Jesus' death and resurrection can end the hostility between God and people. And only the power of Jesus' death and resurrection can eternally end hostility between individuals and between races and between different people groups of the earth. Uh, we've seen in recent weeks that Jesus Christ was the initiator of our reconciliation, of our peace. Jesus was the preacher of our peace and Jesus was the purchaser of our peace. He's the one who purchased it on the cross. So by Jesus' blood and by his blood alone, God forgives sinners, God purifies sinners, God unites Sinners by bringing them all together and making them into what he calls one new man. And so we become part of God's new man when we put our faith in Jesus. And as part of his new man, we are now fellow citizens of God's kingdom. We are now fellow members of God's household. And we are now fellow living stones in this holy temple that God is building for the glory of his name. And so now, as God's new man, his church, God sends us on mission. And God commands us to do a few things. He commands us to invite all peoples, of all people groups, to become part of Christ's new man. And also God commands us to maintain unity in Christ's new man. That's what we talked about in the past few weeks. And as we, as, as this new man live on mission together, 
God is doing something through us. He is preaching an epic sermon to all of the world and to all of the spiritual beings that we cannot even see, the good angels and the evil demons, God is preaching a sermon through us, his church. Our love for God and our love for one another, church, our shared peace in Christ, our unity in Christ is a living sermon that God says he is preaching to the cosmos for the eternal glory of his name. And that's what we're gonna look at today. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so if you've got your Bible, let's, uh, let's look at Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. I'll go ahead and read this for us. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. It's the word of the Lord. So this morning, I want to answer three questions about what we just read. First, what is the mystery that Paul is talking about here? What's the mystery he's talking about? Second, what does God want us to do with this mystery? What does he want us to do with this mystery? And third, what is the cosmic, the, the universal impact of this gospel mystery? Let's look at those one at a time. First, what is the mystery that Paul is talking about here? Well, remember that, remember who Paul was writing to, okay? The, the Christians in Ephesus, and most of them were from a Gentile background. And that is, they were cultural, uh, uh, culturally and racially not Jewish, okay? So either a person is Jewish or he or she is a Gentile. And in verses one to two, Paul says he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of whom? The Gentiles, okay? So it's an interesting thing to say. Paul was literally a prisoner in Rome when he wrote this. 
And he was imprisoned because he had preached to Jews and to Gentiles that faith in Jesus Christ is the only way that anyone can be saved, whether Jew or Gentile. And that simple message angered a lot of people, both Jews and Gentiles. And so Paul was now under arrest for preaching it, for preaching this, this mystery, the mystery of the gospel of Jesus. And so what is the mystery, again, that Paul is talking about here? <clears throat> I like the way John Stott puts it. He says this, the mystery of Christ is the complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Christ, okay? So the mystery of Christ is the complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Christ. So the mystery of the gospel is a double union. And I, again, as I've said in previous weeks, I think of it in, as, as the shape of the cross. That the mystery of Christ is the complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other and through the union of of both with Christ. So as the two are united to Christ, they are also united to each other. And what this means then is that even though God promised his salvation to the Jewish people, God's salvation does not belong only to the Jewish people. And even though God's savior was born to the Jews, God's savior is not only for the Jews. Thank God, right? And so through faith in this Savior, Jesus, Jews and Gentiles alike are fellow heirs of God. We're fellow members of this same body, the new man. We are fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And, and the Jews understood this mystery partially before Jesus came. But God did not reveal this mystery in a really crystal clear way until Jesus left heaven, added human flesh to himself, and came to earth. Jesus, when he did that, was born of a virgin. He grew up in wisdom and stature, we read. He was, uh, in his public ministry, he preached eternal peace to Jews and Gentiles. He was wrongly condemned. He was beaten. He was hung on the cross to die and suffer. He was made sin for sinners. He was buried in a tomb after his death. He was resurrected from the dead by the power of God. He was then seen by hundreds of his disciples and he was lifted into the heavens physically to sit at the right hand of the Father and to intercede for his people from all peoples who trust in him. So Jesus in the flesh revealed the mystery of the gospel to us. And, and through his word, the same word we have today, God is preaching to us today that his eternal peace, his unity in Christ, and his reconciliation that he offers is available now to all individuals of the world to all races, to all people groups through faith in what Jesus has done and not in what they have done. So it's a message of grace, God's grace received through faith. And the mystery, uh, again, let's just summarize it one more time. You don't have to put it on the screen if you don't want, but 
Um, to answer question number one, the mystery that Paul's talking about is the complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Jesus Christ. So number two then, what does God want us to do with this mystery? What does he want us to do? Well, in verse seven, Paul says that God worked his powerful grace toward Paul by making Paul a minister or a servant of this mysterious gospel. In other words, God blesses us when he saves us by giving us eternal salvation and also he makes us servants of his gospel. He makes us his servants. So by God's grace alone, he chooses to save sinners so that they will serve his good news to other sinners. Okay, you hear that? We are recipients, but we are also now servants who serve the gospel to others. Do you ever think of yourself that way? Not merely as a follower of Jesus, praise God, but also as a minister of the gospel, that God has made you a servant of his gospel. By his grace, God has given us the gift of the gospel, not only to receive it, but also gladly to share it with others. And now in verse eight, Paul begins to describe what it means to be a servant of the gospel, what it means to be a minister of the gospel. And he does something really cool here. He actually creates some new Greek words, which Paul is known for doing, to try to express to us in inhuman language a few things. To try to express how utterly humble we servants of the gospel ought to be before God and before one another. And also to express how utterly grateful we ought to be to the Lord. And so what he does is he begins by talking about who he is, right? He says, I am the very least of all the saints, all the Christians. And in the Greek, Paul actually says, I'm the leastest, or I am the insignificantest. He makes a word up, okay? I'm the insignificantest of all the believers. And he says it because he knows all the horrible things he did to oppose the name of Christ before Christ saved him. And Paul knows now who he is in Jesus, uh, he, and he also urges us as believers not to live in the past. But it's Paul's awareness of the love of God and the grace of God, the grace that God has shown to him that brings Paul low in humility. And hopefully that will happen to us too, that we would be brought low in humility. Paul knows that, that neither he nor any of us have any right to demand, to demand anything of the holy God of the universe. And, and Paul knows that none of us can boast of our righteousness when we stand before the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus died because we are not righteous, not because we are righteous. If we were righteous, there wouldn't be a cross. We can't stand in pride before the cross of Christ. And so, a, a, a real deep heart understanding of the gospel, which 
is graciously given to us by the Holy Spirit compels us to live in humility before God and to live in gratefulness to this holy God who loves us. And then Paul contrasts the leastness or the insignificantest of himself, he contrasts that with the greatness of the grace of God. Okay, so Paul says, to me, this grace was given. To me, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So the grace that God gave to Paul that he's talking about here is the gift of proclaiming the gospel to the world. Specifically, the gift of preaching to Gentiles that the unsearchable riches of Christ can be theirs if they trust in Christ. And, and so, again, t- he does this cool thing with words. To describe the riches of Christ, he creates another Greek word here. And, and the best we can translate it is as unsearchable. And this word is so cool, you guys. It means it is impossible to trace the end of the riches of God's grace. It means it is impossible to understand So to the best of his word-creating ability, Paul is trying to describe the unsearchable riches or the incalculable riches, the incomprehensible riches, the never-ending riches of God that are ours now in Christ Jesus. Is that awesome? And so, you know, this changes the way we think of God. And the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we think about our, our salvation, when we think of God, we must not think of God as poor in grace or as poor in mercy toward us or as poor uh, in glory. God is rich. He's a creator of all things. He is rich in grace. He is rich in mercy. He's rich in glory. He's more rich than we can begin to comprehend. He's more rich than we will ever comprehend even though we're going to be with him in eternity. And what's mind-blowing here is, you know, this book of Ephesians, it just seems to add blessing after blessing. That's why it takes so long to even try to, you know, try to comprehend some of this stuff. What's mind-blowing here is that God tells us that in heaven, he will show his eternal kindness to us by continually giving us more and more of his grace the end of which is impossible to search out. Is that good news? That is so good. Remember, Paul's talked about this a little bit in Ephesians 2, 4 to 7, where he said, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's awesome. (laughs) That puts things in perspective here. This world is not our home. And I'm so thankful for that. And so... Here in chapter three, verse eight, this is what Paul's telling us. Christians, be humble. 
before your awesome God and Savior who has saved you the leastest. Never forget that without him, you can do nothing. And at the very same time, Christians, rejoice and give thanks because the riches that God shares with you are immeasurable. They are beyond understanding and they are without end. Christian, in Christ, you have infinitely more than Bill Gates has. You hear that? Unless he's in Christ. I'm, not stay, I'm just saying his earthly wealth, all that stuff, that doesn't go with you. If you don't have Christ, you don't have anything. But in Christ, we have everything. And beyond, uh, there's just beyond tracing out is the, the riches of the grace of God. And so in light of this great news, what does God want us to do with it? Well, he wants us to do th- the same thing that he wanted Paul to do with it. He says, one, to preach the wor- to the world the unsearchable riches of Christ, to proclaim it. This is great news. To preach to the world the unsearchable riches of Christ and two, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So there's two parts to that. First, as followers of Jesus, we get the privilege of telling all races, all nations, all cultures that through the gospel of Jesus, God is offering unsearchable, never-ending riches of grace to them. And so we urge the world to trust Jesus in order to enjoy the riches of his grace now and forever. And second, as we share God's word with this dark world, we ask the Holy Spirit to shine your light, Spirit. Illuminate it. Shine the light of your good gospel plan. Shine the light of your love. Shine the light of your glory. We ask God to illuminate the word Turn the lights on for people, God. As we preach your word, turn the lights on for people, for believers and non-believers alike, so that all of us can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and celebrate him. Do that for us, Lord, please. God is the creator of all things, it says here. So that's everything that exists, visible and invisible. Things on earth, things in the air, things in the universe or the cosmos, things in heaven, all of it exists because God created it and none of it can exist without his sustaining power. The only reason anything exists is because Jesus Christ is holding it together by his power right now. And so it leads us then to our third question. What is the cosmic impact of this gospel mystery? Cosmic, as in the universe, big picture, the cosmic impact of of this gospel. And in verses 10 to 13, Paul describes three cosmic impacts of this reconciling gospel. First, through his new man, God is displaying his manifold wisdom to the heavenly beings. And that word manifold, it means like, it means multifaceted. It means like a beautiful diamond that has all sorts of sides to it that you can't fully even comprehend. God, through his new man, is displaying 
his multifaceted wisdom to the heavens, to the heavenly beings. Verses 10 to 11 say, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places. Now this is especially pertinent to the Ephesian Gentiles, many of whom were familiar with these words, rulers and authorities, having been involved in witchcraft, having understood these exact same terms that referred to demon spirits, okay? And it says, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So this is really amazing. As if the glory of the resurrected Lord Jesus reigning in heaven wasn't loud enough of a declaration of God's victory to the cosmos. God turns the amp to 11, okay? That's what he does. And he roars to the spiritual beings, look at my new man. Look at my church. Only my power, only my grace, only my kindness, only my wisdom could create this. My people, my bride, united in me, at peace with me, at peace with one another, who love one another, who love me, who I loved first. This is my living sermon to you, angels and demons. My love, my power, my reign will prevail, period. My temple will be built, and I'm making living stones to add to it every day. So stand in awe, angels and demons. Be filled with fear and tremble at my awesome resurrection power and love that reconciles enemies to each other and to me forever. (laughs) It's awesome. And so church, our love for one another, our pursuit of holiness together, Our desire to live out reconciliation with one another is preaching a powerful sermon, not just here on earth, but also in the heavenlies. So then, may God be glorified by the way that we act toward one another and toward him and toward the world around us. And may we rely on his grace and his spirit to be a sermon that he's proud of. Second, as God's new man, we now have boldness. We now have confident access to the God of the universe through faith in him, in Jesus. So, yes, we must humbly come before God. Yes, let's come before God with fear and trembling because he's awesome and he's mighty and he could crush us in a second. But at the same time, May we who are in Christ not approach God in fear of his condemnation or of his shame. Because this God who is so awesome is the one who loves us and who saved us and is for us. Romans 8.1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. And so through our union with Christ, God has taken away from us our guilt. He's taken away from us our shame. 
He's taken away from us our condemnation and he's replaced it with the righteousness of Jesus Christ that covers us now. Thank you, Lord, for doing that for us. And so what does this mean practically? Well, God, thank you for giving us this backstage all-time pass to yourself and help us to make good use of this. May may we be a, a constantly praying people with this Lord. May we submit to the Lord's will and may we live in dependence on his grace every day. And third, as God's new man, our suffering is redeemed for our eternal joy and for God's eternal glory. Our suffering is redeemed through Christ for our eternal joy and for God's eternal glory. Paul writes in verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. If we are One thing the past three months has definitely revealed is the brokenness and futility of this world, to me. If we are mainly looking for peace to fill ourselves and happiness in this country or in this world around us, we will be devastated if we aren't already. This world the people around us, all of our possessions and accomplishments will let us down. They will not last. And even the, thing, you know, the things that we love that are gifts of God's grace, the people that we love, the things that we love we, that, we, that give us happiness of this world, they are but a mist. <laughs> They're here today. They're, they will be gone tomorrow. But if we mainly are looking for peace and happiness and joy in this unshakable, awesome God of the universe who loves us, then even our sufferings in this life are not in vain. God promises us in his word that he will in fact use our present sufferings to bring about his good purposes on earth and in heaven, even though we can't see the whole picture right now. And he will use our present sufferings to bring about greater eternal joy for those of us in Christ after this life. That takes faith, great faith to believe. And so that's why so often we just pray, Lord, please give me faith. Help me to trust you. The riches of God's everlasting grace will one day wash away the sufferings of this life in such a beautiful way that the scripture says even the angels long to look into what we have in Jesus Christ. The angels look into the gospel and say, wow, God sure loves those people and that is an awesome God. So for us today, Christians, whatever you're going through, wherever you're at today, take courage in Christ. Rest in his grace with humility and with thankfulness. And as the new man together, let's, let's tell the world and the cosmos through our love and through the gospel message that Jesus Christ is awesome and he reconciles enemies by his blood. 
And my prayer for you today is that God will give you some sweet foretastes today and this week of the eternal riches of his grace to come. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, for this passage, God. Thank you for the unsearchable riches of your grace. Our minds just, <laughs> you know, we, our minds melt when we try to comprehend this for a minute. We can't comprehend infinity for 10 seconds. But God, you tell us that you are the God who has riches of grace for us that we cannot possibly trace out or comprehend. Thank you for your grace in our lives. Thank you for doing for us what we could never do by laying your life down on the cross to save us. And we are just so thankful, God, that you are alive, you are in heaven, you are interceding for us, you are in charge, you're reigning over all things right now, that you are gonna come back, that justice will be done, Lord, and that you are preaching a sermon of your power and grace to the heavenlies through your church. Not because your church is perfect, but because you have covered it with your perfection. You have make it, made us beautiful, Jesus. Please help us to live lives that reflect that beauty you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, kept it under an hour. Love you guys. So good to see you. So thankful for coming. Thank you for joining us online. Have a great week.